We're continuing through our Reconnect series. I hope you're not getting tired of that word yet, Reconnect. We still feel like that's important, and we still have a few more weeks to go in that series. Today, we're talking about reconnecting with spiritual community. Um, and I know that this past year and a half has really, uh, it's, it's been a time of disorientation because our community has, has taken a hit in a number of ways. Um, I, while we have missed, in my household, over this last year and a half, we've missed the, the larger communities that we've been connected with, we've also found some unique ways to still have community. For us, this all started when the pandemic began, and that Friday, right before spring break, I went back, by the way, and looked. It was Friday the 13th. I'm, that, that was when everything in Austin kind of came to a screeching halt, and I'm not a superstitious person, I'm just saying. It, you know, everyone was going to buy toilet paper at the grocery store, and we, we all started to kind of realize we're going to be home. Uh, spring break is not going to be this fun going out and traveling thing that we thought it was going to be. Uh, and in my house, we had big plans for spring break, but it didn't involve traveling. We were going to make a treehouse. And the treehouse, uh, I just, I felt like I could take some extra time off, spring break, and we'll make the treehouse. It was something we had talked about and planned for a long time. Um, and so as we got started making that treehouse, we also, um, our neighbors were home a lot for their spring break. And they have kids about the same age as, as my kids. And so they would come over and play in our backyard and we would uh, build the treehouse. And that became just kind of a rhythm. The backyard in our house, what that was the place of community for our neighbors and for us. As that... Um, as we started doing that more and more, you know, we have a fence that separates our neighbor's backyard from our backyard, and it's the oldest fence on our yard. Like, other sides of the fence have been replaced more recently. That side was still really old. I had been talking to my neighbor about, we should replace this, so we thought after the treehouse is done, we'll replace that fence. Well, before we got to that, the kids popped out some boards because they didn't like walking all the way around the house to get in our backyard. We didn't have a back gate on that side, but the kids found out they could squeeze through some of the fence pickets and get to our backyard. So our neighbor's kids would freely come into our backyard. Um, it, this was a daily thing, and they would come knock on our back door. Hey, you guys want to come out and play? Or we would just look back there, and they'd be playing. Like, okay, now our kids, go, go play, go, go be free. Um, and this was kind of a survival instinct for us in some ways. Um, we just spent a lot of time in the backyard. So we also have a shaded, like a covered patio. And so it was, wasn't just a good place for the kids to play. It was also a great place for the grown-ups to hang out. We would find ourselves, um, you know, watching kids trying to work in the middle of the day while the kids played outside. And, and the adults would be sitting on the, on the back patio. Or at the end of the day, it was pretty common that, um, you know, one of us who had to work outside of the home would come home, and the other three of us that, that kind of worked from home, we'd, get to, we'd all get together on the patio at the end of the day, and we would vent about how many Zoom meetings were you on today, and how tired did that get, or uh, having to go to work in person, and how, how frustrating that was when other people didn't have to, uh, what the kids had found to do to keep themselves entertained that day, which was always something interesting. Um, and we, we found that we spent a lot of time together. We, we would oftentimes continue spending time together into dinner. And they would just bring their dinners over, and we would hang out and have dinner together on the back porch. And it was great. It was a beautiful thing. Um, eventually, uh, we got tired of the kids just being able to go through the fence, so the adults punched out some more boards. So 
we were all going through the fence, and then eventually the fence broke, and so we had to remove that section, and we basically had a shared backyard for most of the pandemic. It was a special thing, and and when we look back in our house over the pandemic, there's a lot that we felt a loss about, you know, being here with the Bethany family, getting to see all of you. I was sad about that and, and, and a number of other people that I just missed seeing, but it was actually a really special thing that we got to spend so much time with just our neighbors. What we found is we, we were able to grow really close with them because they were some of the only people we were spending time with. And I think that, for me, it shows, us, shows me something about how we work, that we need the bigger community. We need, as Christians, we need to be connected to the larger church, right? And, and Pastor Tom talked about that last week, about reconnecting with the church. Um, we are glad that we can meet together again, that we can be together. Um, we can see faces that we haven't seen in a while. Um, and there's something special that we share in this place in worship. But we don't just need that, do we? We don't just need to sit around 150 of our best friends in worship and not talk to them. We actually need more depth than that. We need relationship. And I'm convinced that as human beings and as Christians, we need relationships with just a few people that we can grow deep with. And that is one of the things that helps us keep growing in our faith. So we're going to talk about that today. What does it look like to have deep spiritual community? Will you pray with me? Lord, we give you thanks for the ability for us to gather and worship We love getting to see each other, and we love, God, getting to be in your presence. Come and teach us right now. Push on our lives so that you can lead us into a more full life in Christ. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. For you, God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of my favorite scripture passages about the church comes from Acts 2. It's a a time in the early church, uh, kind of before a lot of problems happen, but really we we just get to see such a beautiful picture of what the church could be at its fullest. So I want to look at that real quick. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now what I I love about this passage that I had not realized, or maybe it just didn't occur to me until uh, earlier in this week, is that there is a picture here of a church that is both big and small church that's both big and that's small. And here's what I mean. Just in this part of the passage, daily they were attending the temple together. That's kind of like what we're doing right here, right? A bunch of us getting together for worship, but that's, that's not all they did. 
They also broke bread in their homes. They got together in houses. And I don't know about you guys, there's only so many people that will fit in my house. Um, If you could fit all of us in your house, then please let me know. We'll schedule a time for us to come over and have a big party. for the most part, though, when you get together in a home, there's just a limited number of people, and it's a, it's a smaller group, and it's a group that you can grow in a deeper relationship with. It seems like what was happening in the early church is they weren't just having these megachurch rallies, right? I mean, I mean you, could, you could read the book of Acts, and the number of times it says, like, and a thousand more became followers that day. It, it might make us think, oh, they were having all these megachurch rallies. Well, it seems like they had some bigger gatherings, and they had smaller groups for fellowship and deep spiritual community. And that's an essential part of Christians living together in the early church. Later in the book of Hebrews, we see that uh, affirmed, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't forget to meet together. Whenever I read this passage, I feel like it might have been written uh, just for us. There's so many distractions and reasons we come up with for not having community with just a few people, for not having time to meet together. Or maybe we we see ourselves as individuals who are very self-sufficient. I'm not sure I don't really need everybody else to know my stuff. I can do it on my own. Or maybe... Maybe there's a fear of being fully known, that fear that that we might feel shameful if people knew who we really were, so we hold people at arm's distance, right? But what this scripture is saying is that we actually need to get close to one another. We need to get close because if you're going to stir up one another to love and good works, that's not something you do in this gathering here. You don't get that just by listening to a preacher on Sundays. You get that by being in relationship with people. There's a need for that. Um, I really like when I preach, I really like to, to pick a passage and to kind of sit with that passage. And for, for this topic, I really struggled with that. And I realized uh, recently what the reason I struggled with that is because there's not one place in the Bible where it says, hey, make sure you have good spiritual friendships. It's throughout the entire thing. And so I want to show you some of the places in Scripture where this is something that is taught and expected, but it's not going to be a single passage. There's not like an 11th commandment hidden somewhere where you need to go be in a small group. Um, If I was writing them, I I might add that to be clear. So here, here's some, what I want to share with you is some elements of deep spiritual community that I see in Scripture, and I want to show you where I see some of this. As we look through this, I think it's something for us to consider either where do we need to start having this in our lives, or maybe we already have some community, and God's calling us to make that community grow a little deeper. So I want to share with you these elements of spiritual community. The first one An element of spiritual community is that you have to share real life with others. And so we have a great model for this. The word, which is Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love how the message paraphrases this this verse about the incarnation of Jesus. 
When God wanted to enact his big plan of redemption and bring his people back into relationship with him, he didn't just give us a book. He didn't just give us a bunch of religious rituals that we, if you follow these things and do these things and go to church on Sunday, it's all going to connect and then, aha. He gave us his own son. Jesus came so he could walk in a human life and live in the kind of messy world that we live in And Jesus is relatable. When we think about the disciples, uh, you know, they later became the leaders of the early church. And if you wonder, like, how did they do that? Um, They lived with Jesus for three years. They didn't just follow him around to different preaching crusades. Um, They lived with him. They got to see him... um, planning meals or, or not planning meals. They got to see him getting in arguments with extended family. That, right? The messy parts of life. They, got to, they went to weddings and parties together. They got in, uh, in fights with the religious authorities. They got, got in trouble together. They got to see real life. And any, any person I know that's growing deep in their faith uh, is what I notice is they're able to share real life with other people that are helping them grow. I think this is something that we're called to do. Um, any small group I've been a part of, or group I've been a part of, that, that has a certain depth to it, 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 has, uh, it has this built into it. When Tracy and I were leading a small group in our home, uh, once a month we would just have a hangout night together. And it wasn't because we were lazy or tired of doing studies or um, anything like that. It was because if we're going to grow deep together, we have to actually enjoy sharing life with people, which means we go out to dinner. It means we maybe go bowling or do an activity, go on a hike, or maybe just have a barbecue at our house. But if you're going to grow deep with people, you have to actually be willing to share life with them. Right? So we can't just see people on Sunday mornings and be like, yeah, that's my spiritual community. Like, well... I don't know, an hour on Sunday morning, there's only so much depth you can go, right? Okay, so we have to share real life with others. The second element of spiritual community is practicing vulnerability. Practicing vulnerability. This is not very popular, but it's very needed. In the beginning, when God created man, uh, that man's name was Adam, and Adam was alone, and God looked at him, and he said, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to go really bad. So he made Eve, uh, because man was in desperate need of a woman. And and really, I think that, that shows us something about humankind and our need for relationship. When God says to Adam, it's not good that man would be alone, I think it really shows us that it's not good for any of us to be alone and isolated. Many of us would say amen to that after this year and a half that we've had. But at the end of that story, when God does create Eve and then they get united together as one flesh in marriage, we have this verse, that the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I I think there is more going on here than just a marriage intimacy. I think this also is an indicator of the openness and relationship that they had. This is, in, this is before the fall, and the relationship that Adam and Eve had together was completely open. It was complete vulnerability. What's interesting is when the fall happens, even before Adam and Eve try to hide from God, they try to hide from each other. They, they sew fig leaves together and make clothes because they realize, oh, we're naked. I don't, I don't want to share that part of my life, or maybe I don't. I don't know. 
And, and they, they try to hide from each other even before they try to hide from God. And I think we all suffer from that affliction just as Adam and Eve did. I think that's one of the products of the fall is we are often hesitant to share our true selves with others. In any kind of deep spiritual community, a part of the reason it gets deep is because over time you start to build trust. You start to be more and more willing to share of yourself I think everyone has this desire to be fully known and loved for who they are. Now, I want to be clear, this doesn't happen by you standing up here and sharing your deepest, darkest secret. Not that any of y'all were going to do that. It also doesn't happen by posting deep parts of your life on Facebook. That can feel, in our world, that can feel like the ultimate vulnerable act. That's actually not vulnerability. That's almost the opposite, right? With social media, we usually, we have carefully curated content that we're designing to try to make people think certain things about us, whether we realize it or not. With real vulnerability, usually you go deeper the less people you're sharing it with. So this is something that takes time, and it's something that as you walk with people and share life day in and day out over the weeks and the months and the years, you'll, you'll grow in vulnerability with that person. And it, and it has to be a mutual thing. So practicing vulnerability. The, the third element of spiritual community is we have, to, we have to care for one another. And you might, you might look at this and be like, yeah, okay, I can do that, Thomas. Now you're speaking my language. I love everybody. Loving, it's easy to say that you love people. It's a lot harder in practice. I think we can't just, uh, we can't, we can't just say we love people or try to kind of have good intentions. We have to actually tangibly love people. In Galatians, Paul tells us that bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're really called to walk with each other in life in a way where when, when someone needs help, we can carry them. We can help them get to where they couldn't get to by themselves. I think most people get surprised by how messy community is. Sometimes it's hard to really love people, right? Sometimes you might get in a small group or you might make a friend and they say something. And you go, oh my gosh, that is so offensive. I can't believe they would say that guess what? People do that. You probably do that to some people. But God calls you to love people even when their lives are broken and messy, even when they say something that offends you, even when they don't believe with your, agree with your political preference. And a part of how we have deep spiritual community is we stick with people for the long haul. We love them anyway. The, the fourth part of spiritual community that is deep uh, is, is we, we pray with one another. Now there's, there's I, I know that we can say we're going to pray for someone, but I also know that saying you're going to pray for someone doesn't always mean that later on in your day uh, you sit down and you actually take time to pray for them. And so on a practical level for me, one of the best ways to actually pray for someone is when someone asks you to pray for them, just say, hey, yeah, can I pray for you right now? And, and hopefully they're okay with that. But you can just say a quick prayer. God bless this person and this thing they're struggling with. Go be with them. But the other thing, I, I think there are times when groups, instead of just having conversation about God, can seek God together and talk to God. 
Some of the most transformative groups I've been a part of over the years have been groups that are willing to seek God together and to pray together. Um, If you're uncomfortable praying in front of other people, by the way, we have a prayer class that starts tomorrow evening. Uh, Vicki Porterfield is going to be teaching it. She's a a pretty well-known prayer leader, and our prayer team here organized this class so that for six weeks, people at Bethany could come be part of a class that would help them learn how to pray more and pray better and just grow in their prayer life. So if if you're like, I don't don't know, I, I don't really want to pray in front of someone, Thomas. I don't know, maybe, maybe God's nudging you to take this class and to grow in your prayer life. These are four things that Scripture talks about, that Scripture encourages us in, so that we could have deep spiritual community. But for me, this has not just been something that I read in Scripture. Uh, in many ways, uh, I have experienced this through various communities that I've been a part of. I think for me, it started when I was 17, and I had, started, I had an encounter with Jesus, and I decided I wanted to follow Jesus for myself. I didn't just want to go to church because my parents went to church. I actually wanted a relationship with God, and I started meeting with my youth minister because when I, I, as I read the Bible, I didn't know what to do with it. I would read these things, and I would say, well, what about this? So my youth minister took me under his wing, and we had many get-togethers over coffee or lunch to try to figure out the Christian faith for a a new believer like me. And then as I got through my last year of high school, I had a friend named Jeff who had started intentionally following Christ a little earlier than I did. And my friend Jeff noticed there was something different, and we, we got to talking, and he said, hey, what if we meet every week and we talk about, you know, how our life with God is going, and we, we try to encourage each other and help each other keep growing. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, do people do that? That sounds, sounds okay to me. And it was great. I had someone who could support me. I had someone that suddenly I was partially responsible for supporting. As I got into college, I went to the University of Texas. Uh, the Wesley Foundation at UT um, had so many small groups that I was, I was so pumped up to grow in my faith, I signed up for a small group every night of the week. I, I, and I, I had to back out of half of them. Uh, I bet, but, but the ones that I stuck with were so good for me. I realized, man, I don't know if it gets better than this, than growing with others in a community like that. And then, and then a year later, got to be a part of a guys group that was led by some of the older guys at, at the University of Texas, Wesley. Um, and they really showed me what it looks like uh, to continue to grow and have a high commitment level with some other guys. It's, it's really that that convinced me to become Methodist, you guys, because I experienced this depth of community and growing with others. Now, when I learned more about Methodism, I said, oh, man, there's a rich history of this. Uh, in, 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 in early Methodism... Small groups were like the main thing. I know we've talked about this a lot here. They had these things called class meetings. And what John Wesley and the early Methodists found out is that you know, they were having these revivals and people were going from uh, good church people to radical followers of Jesus. What they realized is that people would, would stay growing in their faith if they were connected to a small group they could meet with every week. So they had these things called class meetings. And a class meeting is a, a small group of 12 or less people 
Every week they met together not to talk about their ideas of God, not to read a book or do a study, but just to discuss how is my life with God going? The question, how is your life with God this week? And John Wesley and the other Methodists found that this was such an important part of keeping people growing in their relationship with God, that they needed this spiritual community. And John Wesley even uh, came to say about it, holy solitaries is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. The gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. You can't say, it's just me and Jesus. I'm fine, just me and Jesus. Because we need one another. A few years ago at Bethany, we realized that uh, class meeting was a good model and provided something that we had room to grow in as a church. And so we started class meetings here. We call them grow groups. And they're groups, small groups of people that meet during the week. And the purpose of the meeting is to talk about how's your relationship with God going this week? I think what most people in a grow group would tell you is that that is not a conversation we're used to having, and it's not an easy question to answer at first, because we're really not used to having that, that conversation. But the more you practice that, the more you get with people and you share, as I went through my week, here's how I experienced God, or, or here's where I felt like God was absent, or here's where I'm wrestling with my faith and with God, as you practice that more and more, you become both more aware of what God's doing in your life and you get to hear what God's doing in everyone else's life. And it's an incredible encouragement. God wants us to be connected, not just with the big church, but with a specific community, a specific group of people that we can grow deep with in our faith. And I wonder today, as we go through this Reconnect series, uh, what is God calling you to? What's the next step for you? And I'm imagining a few different kinds of people. There might be some of you who uh, you enjoy worship at Bethany. You, maybe you love the praise band. They're great. Uh, and it's, it's easy to come here an hour on Sunday morning. I wonder if for you, if, if maybe God is nudging you to, to consider joining a Sunday school class or trying a grow group, something that would allow you to grow just a little bit deeper with others. There's, there's some of you, and, and I see some of you, I can recognize some of you, that are already in a Sunday school class or a grow group, and you might be thinking, well, I'm off the hook. That's a good one. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pick on you even more. What I would say is that any spiritual community that continues to grow deep, it takes intentionality, and it's not just intentionality by the leader that's right, every person gets to contribute to that, to the depth and the life in that community. So if you're already a part of a community, what I would say is look at this list and which of those things do you think God wants to stretch you in? And, and whatever you feel like God wants to stretch you in, maybe that's something to begin practicing and digging into more with your group. You know, maybe that person in your group that you kind of know but you don't really know them well, so you ask them out to coffee. You actually get to know them, share some real life together. Maybe there's something in your life you've been withholding from your group, and you're, you're realizing, you know what, that's actually preventing me from growing. So I, I think I will bring this thing up that I, you know, I'm kind of scared to do that. But I'll, you know, maybe just with one person at first, 
but eventually I want to be more vulnerable. Maybe I'm scared of praying with people. So I'm, I'm going to take that prayer class, but I'm also I'm going to ask people in my group if I can pray for them. I don't know what it is for you. We're all on a journey here, and we're all at different places, but I do know that God wants to reconnect us with spiritual community. And my prayer for you is that that would be a part of your rhythms and that you would be able to experience the fullness of life in Christ with specific other people. Will you pray with me? Lord, I give you thanks for this Bethany family and for all the ways that you're at work. You are, you are doing some amazing things in people's lives. And I give you thanks especially for the ways that you use other people in our lives to encourage us, to love on us, to remind us who you are, to pray for us. I pray that you would show each of us, Lord, how we can make spiritual community uh, something that is important in our lives and that you'd allow us all to encounter you uh, as fully as possible uh, with others around us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.